That was encouraging. Anyway, what's really encouraging is Connie and Jim are here for their baptism. Uh, super exciting. They're my neighbors. We uh, see each other walking occasionally. And uh, so, yeah. But uh, super exciting. Uh, the journey they've been on, a journey of truth. Amen. And um, so, Charles, did you want to say a little bit about it? I know a card that they yeah. in. My, is it on? You guys hear me? Good. Um, so, you know, it's amazing. You know, I was asking Connie and about her journey, and, and I believe your your background is Methodist, right? Is that true? Wesley. Yeah, Methodist Wesleyan. Um, so, anyways, they, um, you know, she, you know, she attended uh, a few churches here in the area, and uh, she was discovering things from Bible study of her own about Sabbath and all that. She's actually, believe it or not, a vegetarian, um, and so that's not because the Bible says with me. <laughs> And nor was the Sabbath because of me. <laughs> That's all because of the Lord. Um, but anyway, she sent in a Bible study card, and uh, I went to follow that up, and uh, I started giving her Bible lessons. She probably didn't know that she would have a guy come to her door. She might have been expecting something in the mail, right? Most people do. But I came, you know, with a smile on my face. He's a little scary. Yeah, it can be scary if my, my, you know. But anyway, so we started giving her Bible, um, leaving Bible lessons with her, and she started doing those, and um, we started connecting and talking about life and just about current events and end time stuff and God just um, kept bonding us together and uh, we got to maybe like a, through a second series of studies and I asked you a question if you had any questions like yeah I have three questions and I'm like well I can't cover those at the door I'm like can we like meet together and she's like yeah so we started meeting together doing Bible studies covering that in person and then I asked her she was thinking about being baptized and she goes yes and then she brought that news to Jim her husband here, and he wanted to get baptized. And I'm like, wait a second, I don't know anything about Jim. <laughs> so we started doing Bible with the gym and all that. He watched the DVDs from Amazing Facts, um, Doug Batchelor, and he agrees with it, and he loves what he, he's learning, and uh, he's um, here to be a part of the baptism with her, his wife. And because he believes the truth of God's Amen. word, he Amen. wants to follow God's word, and he wants to make Jesus his all in all and his guide in his life, and Amen. really experience his full salvation. And that's also true for Connie here. And so I'm just thankful for what God is doing in Connie and Jim's life. And uh, just excited to see what he's going to do with them here in, his, in this church and in the greater Adventist church as a whole as we see Jesus soon coming and approaching us. Amen. Amen. Connie, did you have a speech for us prepared? No, I didn't think uh, either one of them probably did. But they have family here. You have uh, family here? Yep. My father. Your father's sitting right there. Give us a good wave. All right. And then you have your Sabbath school class family. Give, give Connie a wave, family. That's why they're sitting right there. So that's, uh, that's a beautiful thing. By the way, that text about um, a dry and thirsty land, our closing hymn is, Fill My Cup, Lord. So that's just, I mean, when stuff like that happens, it's like you couldn't have planned it. I mean, if you tried to plan it, it wouldn't have worked. But uh, when God plans it, it works. And so, so excited for you. So move forward just a little bit. And now, Connie, because of your desire to serve the Lord with all your heart and mind and soul and strength, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And now Jim, who uh, came a little later to the uh, to the scene, to the studies, but 
loves the truth. And, you know, the sermon today, again, is about the Word. And uh, as Caitlin said, she got baptized here a little while ago. This church is all about the Word, and indeed it should be, right? Both as individuals and as a nation, we need to be living by the Word of God. And I believe that's Jim's desire. And so any other comments from... No, I, sure. I think I covered it with... Uh, covered it, okay. Yeah. All right. I just said this, actually, because the pastor Rob was trying to visit um, um, in my last time I met with him. Not last time I'm still going to meet with him, but um, before they're going to be baptized. And he was there at the door. He knocked. He rung the doorbell. We didn't hear any of it. <laughs> I don't know why we didn't. I, I didn't know until I got this text. I'm like, oh, what's happening? And I'm like, oh. And he was already driving off when Connie got to the door. Yeah. But anyways... He asked, how did it go? And I'm like, it went really well. They were excited in their own introverted way. Yes. <laughs> and so they are excited, and I'm so glad to see their excitement and, um, and how God's going to use their personalities to reach people that I can't reach, but Jim can reach, That's and Connie right. can reach, and Amen. pray the Lord for that. And that means every one of you can reach someone, too. That's right. Um, so you guys have a unique role in the work of God of bringing people like Jim and Connie to know the Lord as you do, and even more. We give a set of the conflict of ages um, to every newly baptized. Another reason to <clears throat> another reason to be baptized. Um, so, of course, the best reason is you love Jesus, but all the rest is, is good too. So, anyway, we're so glad to have you guys, um, and uh, look forward for what the what the Lord is going to do through you um, and continue to do to you. So I would look for a motion to accept these dear ones into our membership. There's a motion, second. All in favor, raise your hand real high. All right, praise the Lord. So again, thanks so much. Just want to have another prayer over you guys, and, um, and then we'll uh, continue on. Father in heaven, we just thank you again for the beautiful decision. May this be a special, joyous day, and really the start of something new for Jim and Connie. They've loved you for a long time, but this truth that they found in your word um, is something special and uh, lord may we uh, treat them as something special part of our new family and may they continue to grow and mature in your beautiful words as your word says i found your words and i did eat them and they were the joy and rejoicing of my heart may that be their experience going forward bless them with your holy spirit for service in jesus name amen all right, thanks again, you guys. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. All right.
right. Well, good to see you one and all today. We continue in our series on the book of Zechariah. Jesus welcomes you and we welcome you. A few upcoming events. Eighth grade graduation. <clears throat> Pastor Brad Hall, is Brad here? He would tell me that's the wrong... <laughs> title for him. Anyway, he's doing eighth grade graduation. Officer Brad Hall is what I should call him. <clears throat> and um, so we're excited for that. Our Pathfinder leader, along with his wife. I don't know who's the leader, leader, but anyway, ask the Pathfinders. And then BCA graduation with Jem Castor on the 29th. So this is coming up this Thursday and this Sabbath. So great week coming up of uh, events. And then you won't want to miss, as I said, Paul Punch as he comes to share with us that we might share with others. And then communion on the 12th camp meeting the last two weeks of June. Excited about that. We will be live streaming here. Um, I think is camp meeting pretty much full, Joel? It's pretty much full. So if you hadn't made arrangements, probably better maybe to watch it by live stream at this point. But um, that's when, uh, for those of you that are fairly new, that's when a lot of us Adventists get together in one setting. It's sort of a, like a Feast of Tabernacles, joyous occasion up at Camp Asable. That's coming end of June. July 3, I left up there, the final warning. And then... <clears throat> Cedar Lake. Yeah, what, what did I say? Campus Abel? Oh, sorry. Yes, thank you for that. Good to have your wife around. <clears throat> All right. And then September 11th actually falls on a Sabbath this year, and we're doing a special 9-11 tribute. Should I use the other mic, or what do you think? Um, <clears throat> so special 9-11 tribute. We're super excited about that. And that will be on 9-11. We have a Rear Admiral Bigger, I believe Bigger is the last name. He uh, was at the Pentagon when the plane struck the Pentagon. He's a Seventh-day Adventist, and so he'll be sharing with us that experience. We'll have um, uh, delegates from the police, fire department, and first responders here. So that'll be a, a great week to just honor <clears throat> you know, our community and those who serve us. Um, they get a lot of negative comments lately, unfortunately, but uh, they should get a lot of praise for what they do for us on a daily basis. All right, so continuing with unfinished business, and I'm just wondering, is this, this is off? Um, we'll just stick with this one. Uh, just going back and forth on our mics here, but we're looking at a study in the book of Zechariah called The Day of Small Things from chapter four. We're looking at the entire chapter. Zechariah is a great book to do as a series because it splits up really easily, short chapters. And so uh, it's been a real blessing to me. I hope it has been to you. This is our fifth sermon on the book. A little bit in review, we saw that these names are super important. Zechariah means God remembers. Berechiah, God blesses. And Edu, at the appointed time. And if we would just remember that, we'd save ourselves a whole lot of trouble. God remembers and God blesses at the appointed time. So I hope you've gotten that message. We looked again in review that his goal <clears throat> from chapter three 
where we saw the high priest. And remember, we had the two robes out here. Hopefully that helped some of you. It did help because you texted me and said, hey, that, that illustration helped. We had a dirty black robe and then a white pure robe. And we saw what double imputation means um, to Christ was imputed that black robe, right? It was taken off of the sinner and then the white robe was put on the center. The white robe doesn't go over the black robe, right? The, the black robe comes off. The white robe goes on the center. That's imputation of Christ's righteousness to us. The black robe went on Christ, right? Because those sins had to be dealt with. And so that is our sin imputed to him. Christ became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. All this is in review. And so God's goal is to restore us to unbroken fellowship with him. That's what we'll have in heaven, amen? But he wants it to start here uh, because it brings him joy. And us too, we saw that the moral problem, the law says sin is death or leads to death and all have sinned. And so again, keys from last week, before we could turn to the Lord in confession, in repentance and in obedience, God must first solve the legal problem between the holy law, right? He can't let the law down, but he's got these sinners down here. So how does he be just and the justifier of those who believe in him? All this we saw last week. And this quote from Christ's object lesson, he snatched the race as a brand plucked from the fire. By his human nature, he is linked with man, while through his divine nature, he is one with infinite God. Help is brought within the reach of perishing souls. That's us. The adversary is rebuked. He basically says, be quiet, Satan. That one is mine. Amen? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. With his long human arm, he has encircled humanity while with his divine arm, he's grasped the throne of the infinite God. See, do you see this? He takes humanity with one arm, with the other arm, he's holding on to God. He holds your hand tightly and will never let you go. His strength or ours? Well, always his, right? We have a response, it's important. It's the response of faith and fully believing in him and appreciating. Our grasp on him may seem feeble. Have you ever felt that way? It's like, I just don't know if I can hold on any longer. Well, listen to the rest of it. But his love is that of an elder brother. So long as we maintain our union with him, no one can pluck us out of his hand. Come on and say amen if that's good news. Satan will accuse, that's what he does, right? He's the accuser of the brethren. As Mary was accused, as she was thrown in a heap at the feet of Jesus and he wrote in the sand and what happened to the accusers? One by one, they had to leave. Jesus says, the one who comes to me I will in no wise or by no means cast out. What a God we serve today. Won't you come to him if you haven't already? Chapter three tells us that God saves us completely from sin's guilt. Did that for the whole human race. It's power, that's for the believer. 
and one day from its very presence restored. Chapter 4 now tells us how super important unbroken relationship with Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, come close to your children now. Speak to our hearts and minds from your mighty word. And Lord, give us clarity of understanding. Convict us, Lord, where we need conviction. And Lord, make us catalysts of this message to a lost and dying world, a world that is thirsty. Make us a drink offering to that thirsty world. Change us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. And so we go. I'm stuck to this mic now. I keep moving around, which I shouldn't do. Uh, all right. Zechariah chapter 4. Go ahead and turn there. This is our sermon in a sentence or two. It's a sentence with a dash in it. Does that still count as one sentence? Okay. Well, here it is. So this, it's hard to make this sermon into a sentence, but the Holy Spirit laid in word of God, Old and New Testament, is to be our guide, both individually and as a nation. And as a nation, come on and say amen. The word points to Christ. Enemies are powerless to stop it. By the way, if you want to get sort of the running story of Zechariah and Haggai, you can look in Ezra, right? Because that's where the story is told of the rebuilding of the temple. Ezra 4 tells about the enemies that come in. And first they want to join, right? They want to join the rebuilding. It sounds great. But God gave wisdom to the true builders and said, no, no, don't allow them to be a part of it. They're not really with us. They're against us. And um, you see the enemy's different attacks. And those attacks, he really doesn't have any new tricks. He just keeps retreading the old ones. So when you see some of the enemy's tricks, you know where he will go in the future. And as it says at the bottom there, one little word shall fell him. Love that hymn. All right, we're going to go through a quick trip through the sanctuary because the sanctuary illustrates God's way of saving people. There's a lot of illustrations, almost everything points to Christ. In fact, I don't have that on this slideshow, but if you look at everything in the, in the outer court, it's all bronze, and then you get to silver and then gold, and, and then you have this sort of on fire in the very most holy place, this is maybe for you advanced students. So if you took that sanctuary and you stood it up, it would look just like the picture in Revelation 1, where it has Christ with the bronze feet and then going up and then just on fire at the top. All right, that's not part of my sermon, so I get a few extra minutes. All right, the sanctuary, an illustration of how God saves people. And so here it is. You come in. By the way, how many of you were here when we had the sanctuary here in Battle Creek? Raise your hands and you were able to see that. Yeah, that was a great illustration. You know what really got me from that illustration? There's only one entrance to the sanctuary, right? There's only one way. I mean, and you can say it's a narrow way. But think about this. What, because you couldn't, you're not, in the day, you couldn't touch the walls around the side of the sanctuary. 
So you'd have to probably pole vault over. Well, what's easier? Why, why not just go in through the door? <laughs> I think that's why Jesus said that. Use the door. He is the door. And, uh, and so much more. And so here we are with the sanctuary. And God says in the outer court, come. And then in the more the middle part, um, the holy place, he says, grow. And in the most holy place, he says, mature. So a lot of ways of looking at the sanctuary. If you look at it a little differently, um, that's okay too. But we do see that the table of showbread illustrated the word of God. The light, of course, was the golden lampstand that comes into play here in Zechariah chapter four. And of course, the altar of incense is prayer. So these are things that we should be doing on a daily basis, right? This is the how of Christ making us one with him, right? Through his word, um, through praying, and through the light of the Holy Spirit and sharing that light with others, sharing that bread, the word. And then of course, the most holy place where the law was underneath the mercy seat. So learning to abide, abiding, deeper, deeper abiding and fully abiding as you walk through the sanctuary in your experience. All right, so we have a seven branch candlestick that we're going to look at here and in, our, in the vision in Zechariah. But it is a, shall we say, a menorah on steroids because there are seven of each to each of the seven. There's like 49 you know, things going on at one time here. <clears throat> so you'll see that in the vision as we go forward. But this is the standard menorah, which would have seven lamps uh, or lights on it. All right, Zechariah chapter four and verses one through five. Actually, you know, before we go there, <clears throat> so we're gonna be talking about abiding in the word, um, and the Holy Spirit laden word of God and how powerful it is. But before we go there, there's a parallel passage in Revelation 11. <clears throat> so go with me to Revelation 11 first because this is what we shouldn't do with the word and with Christ. And then we'll look at what we should do. So we'll kind of have the bad news first and then the good news, Revelation chapter 11. And you'll see the comparisons here between this and Zechariah 4 as we go on. But first, Revelation 11. I've got the authorized King James Version this morning. It says this, and there was given me a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood saying, rise, measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. So there's three different measurements taking place here. But the court which is without the temple leave out and measure it not for it is given to the Gentiles and the holy city shall they tread underfoot for 40 and two months. We can't go into this super deeply, 
But this concept of 42 months, three and a half years, 1260 days, or prophetic years, that all comes out to the same amount. We're speaking of the Dark Ages, 538 to 1798. And uh, this was a horrible time for the Word of God where the Gentiles tread underfoot the Word. And so God's Word was being crucified, shall we say, along with Christ. And it's, that's why they call it the Dark Ages. Some estimates 50 million people lost their lives during that time period. I've heard higher estimates even. But this is the 42-month period that we're talking about. Verse 3, And I will give power unto my two witnesses. Now this will come into play as we go back to Zechariah. And they shall prophesy... A thousand two hundred and threescore days, there it is again, that same uh, time period, clothed in sackcloth. So the truth was there, right? But it, it couldn't really clearly be seen. Pulpits were uh, the only places where they had uh, Bibles, right? And they were chained to the pulpit and it wasn't open to the people during the dark ages and lots of dark um, heretical doctrines came forth during that time, which we're still trying to get past. All this mess that came in the dark ages. That's really why God brought this church into being, to bring that light back, the restoration of all things, as Acts 3, 19 through 21 speaks about. But here we see they are prophesying, but in sackcloth. Verse four, these are the two olive trees. Okay, so the two witnesses, the two olive trees, this is the word of God, Old and New Testament, being held in darkness for the most part. Two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire will proceed out of their mouth and devour their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven. The word of God has power, right? To shut the heavens, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of that great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. This is talking about the, the great controversy, the great struggle between the Bible and believing in God and atheism, especially noted in what happened in France during this time period. And so a lot of what we're seeing today, we saw in France. Now we're not seeing everything we saw in France today and praise the Lord for that because it was an ugly time, a time the Huguenots, um, their blood was running in the streets of Paris because France would have nothing to do with God and nothing to do with religion. And it was a, a really dark time, and they even, their motto was uh, crush, 
crush the wretch. And they were talking about Christ. That was the, the motto of the day, crush the wretch. So you can just imagine how bad it was. And I love what this book says, which we're going to be studying here a little later on. It's the book called The Great Controversy. It says this, every nation has its laws which command respect and obedience. No government could exist without them. That's France, that's the United States, that's any nation, right? And can it be conceived that the creator of the heavens and the earth has no law to govern the beings that he has made? May it never be. Suppose that prominent ministers were publicly to teach that the statutes which govern their land and protect the rights of its citizens were not obligatory. That they restricted the liberties of the people and therefore ought not be obeyed. We're seeing that. We saw it in France. We're seeing it today, unfortunately. How long would such grave offense to disregard the law of states and nations? Sorry, let me reread that. But it is a graver offense to disregard the law of states. Let me try it one more time, sorry. But is it a greater offense to disregard the laws of states and nations than to trample on the divine precepts upon which are the foundation of all government, that is God's law? Certainly that would be even worse. But the point is, it's also bad to disregard the laws of the state. It would be far more consistent for nations to abolish their statutes and permit the people to do as they please than for the ruler of the universe to annul his law and to leave the world without a standard to condemn the guilty and justify the obedient. And then this, would we know the result of making void the law of God? Yes, we would, because the experiment has been tried. Terrible were the scenes enacted in France when atheism became the controlling power. That's what we're reading about in Revelation 11. May that not happen here in America. Amen? <clears throat> Going on, it was then demonstrated in France to the world that to throw off the restraints which God has imposed is to accept the rule of the cruelest of tyrants. When the standard of righteousness is set aside, we're talking about God's law primarily here, man's law too, but primarily God's, the way is open for the prince of evil to establish his power in the earth. Those who teach the people to lightly regard the commandments of God sow disobedience to reap disobedience. Let the restraint imposed by the divine law be wholly cast aside and human laws would soon be disregarded. Because God forbids dishonest practices, coveting, lying, defrauding, men are ready to trample upon his statutes as a hindrance to their worldly prosperity. Ah, get rid of that law. It's, it's in my way. I, I want to cheat and do all these other things to get more money. That's the ruin of an individual. That's the ruin of a nation. If the law were not binding, why should any fear to transgress? Property would no longer be safe. 
Men would obtain their neighbor's possessions by violence, and the strongest would become richest. Life itself would not be respected. The marriage vow would no longer stand as a sacred bulwark to protect the family. He who had the power would, if he desired, take his neighbor's wife by violence. Goes on, children would not shrink from taking the life of their parents. If we didn't have law, and of course our jurisprudence system is based on the English one, which is really based on the Ten Commandments. Now, having said all this, I should also say this. The first four commandments are especially our relationship with God, right? And that, no law, the government has no right to legislate in regard to that. The last six are our relationship to man, and the government not only has a right, but it has the um, responsibility to legislate towards that. And so that's just a little detail that's important to note, I think. The vilest of criminals, when thrown into prison for their offenses, are often made the recipients of gifts and attentions, as if they had attained an enviable distinction. A lot of movies today are made of criminals, and oh, and, wow, that was, that was kind of cool the way he did that. No, it wasn't cool, right? But this is, what, this is what we see today, and this book was written back in 1888. Great publicity is given to their character and crimes. And what do you think happens from that? Well, of course, more people want to do that crime, right? The press publishes their revolting details of vice, thus initiating others into the practice of fraud, robbery, and murder. And Satan exults in the success of his hellish schemes. And then down here at the end, I just want to read this. To destroy faith in the Bible, because that's what France was doing, and that's what we need to make sure that we are not doing, right? That's why this church is about the word. Lift up the word. To destroy faith in the Bible serves his purpose, <clears throat> that is the devil's purpose, as well as to destroy the Bible itself. And I'll stop with that. But... That is something that we're seeing in America today. I have an article here from The Atlantic, which is interesting, from 1937 to 1998. Church membership remained relatively consistent. It's about 70%. Then something happened. Over the past two decades, that number has dropped to less than 50%. The sharpest recorded decline in American history. Meanwhile, the nuns, not N-U-N either, N-O-N-E-S, they call themselves atheists, agnostics, and those claiming no religion have grown rapidly. We're talking about America. And today they represent a quarter of the population. Very interesting. And we see in some, in some places, an effort to just do away with God and do away with the law, and that's exactly following in the footsteps of France, which was a disaster. We don't want to go there. Representative Nadler of California made a statement, but this was the statement that was made by um, Representative Stroby, I think it is, Stubbe just before, and he's actually quoting from Tony Evans, if any of you have heard of him, he's a pastor. 
It's not clothing or personal style that offends God, but rather the use of one's appearance to act out or take control on a sexual identity different from the one biologically assigned by God. Stubbe said, this was in our, court, in our halls of uh, justice. The gender confusion that exists today in our culture today is a clear rejection of God's good design. And whenever a nation's laws no longer reflect the standards of God, that nation is in rebellion against him and will inevitably bear the consequences, the congressman warned. And then the other congressman, the representative Nadler from California said this, said, Mr. Stubbe, what any religious tradition describes as God's will is no concern to this Congress. So just to let you know a little bit about what's going on and the path we don't want to take as a nation and certainly as individuals, right? We want to follow God's word and not make it mold to us, but we mold to it. It does the molding. Well, much more there in Revelation 11, but we better get back to Zechariah chapter 4. So if you'll turn there with me. We will look at verses 1 through 5 and then 11 through 14. It says this, And the angel that talked with me came again. This is interpreting angel. We've seen him come again and again and again. He came and talked with me and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep. And he said unto me, What do you see? And I said, I have looked and behold a candlestick, all of gold. Candlestick, I could have taken you there, but in Revelation 1, we see that the candlestick is clearly a representation of the church. So here we have a golden candlestick. There are seven churches. Here you have only one candlestick. I wonder if you have now only one church. Could it be in the last days? Candlestick, all of gold, purity, with a bowl on the top of it and seven lamps thereon and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof, and two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl, and the other on the left side thereof. And I answered and spake unto the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? The angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. And then he spake, but we'll, we're going to come back to that. Go skip to verse 11 right now. And he answered, and I said unto him, what are these two olive trees? Because you get the picture. We've got this menorah, right, which uses olive oil. And I mean, this is like a self-contained system here, right? I mean, the olive trees are right there to supply the oil for this system. What are the two olive trees on the right side of the candlestick and on the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches, which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me and said, Don't you know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he said, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Okay. 
With that said, let's take a little visual picture here of this. And so we have this menorah, right? But it, each one of these seven um, lamps has seven um, things running into it, right? And these two olive trees are constantly feeding it. This is just the most amazing invention, right? And so it's a, it's a self-contained system. And of course, oil is a symbol of blessing. It's um, primarily the symbol of the Holy Spirit, which of course brings blessing, showers of blessing we need. Um, I was fortunate enough to anoint uh, Emily last night, um, and I believe the Lord brought her peace. Uh, she did end up passing about an hour or so after that. But here we have the Holy Spirit, the oil. We have these two olive trees, which as we've looked at Revelation 11 and now here, I believe primarily point to the Old and New Testament or the Word of God. So this is the Holy Spirit laden Word of God coming in. Uh, some see the two olive trees as the two uh, Christ as both king and priest. That works too, but um, primarily this is the Holy Spirit in his church. And like I said, this is a whole system. You have an amazing, abundant, never failing, fully satisfying supply. And that is for the church and you as part of the church. So how to abide in Christ? Well, it's all through him, right? And so this is how to abide in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Ask God to fill you every day. Fill my cup, Lord, right? I lift it up, Lord. He's got more than enough supply to take care of your every need. And that's where that verse comes in, which we've, it's probably the most known verse from, maybe from the whole book of Zechariah, but certainly from this chapter, I believe. And that is verse six. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, not by might, nor by power, but by what? By my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, or Lord Almighty, or Yahweh Sabaoth, as we've uh, seen before, is what that means. The God that's above all hosts, right? The starry host, the host of angels, he's above all that. And has all that power there, and all that wisdom, and all that love to do you good. That is the Lord of hosts. Now, if I've said this once, I've said this a lot of times. <laughs> in this church. So in six years, if you haven't gotten this, today would be a good day to get it. And this doesn't just work in Christianity. This works in life in a lot of areas, doesn't it? In parenting, in your marriage. But we'll look at it in Christianity. Christianity is first relational, right? And that is the relation of God to you. Then it is behavioral, okay? So often we want behavior first, right? Shape up do this. And there's no relationship there. It just doesn't go well. So relation is so key. Uh, a relationship with Christ. If our kids have that, we won't have to uh, beg them to do things for Christ, right? They will, they will just do those things. Um, and isn't it the same in your family, right? If you have a relationship with your kids, it's a lot easier to get the behaviors that you're looking for. 
Um, but if you don't, then you might get the behaviors because they're afraid to not do the behaviors because <laughs> of what you might do to them. But that won't last long, right? That won't last long. And so Christianity is always first relational, then it is behavioral. And so how to abide in Christ, the word, the church, it's through the Holy Spirit. And so that is what this is illustrating, the supercharged power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God that brings that. The Holy Spirit laden word of God brings power and light. And if there was ever a time to be in the word, it's now, amen? Both individually, um, and I'll stick with individually for now. As individuals, we need to be in the word. That's where we find our firm foundation. Verse seven, as we're uh, closing here fairly soon. Verse seven says, who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, grace, grace. I love that verse. And so what are the mountains in your life? What are the struggles? What are the battles? Do some seem too large to bear? Well, uh, there were enemies in the day of rebuilding the temple, but the message here is don't worry about those enemies. I can flatten those enemies out for you. Amen? And God can do the same with your personal battles. He longs to do that for you personally, to be uh, the one who fights your battles for you and gives you victory in your life. So whatever the challenges are, take them to him and take them to his word. His word is the power source. We should be memorizing his word, his scriptures, um, to help us in our time of need because his promises never fail. He has a track record and his track record is perfect. He's never failed. He will finish the work in you and he alone will be glorified. And I love this uh, crying of grace, grace, right? It's all through grace that God does it. We have a part to play. Our part is important, but our part is in response to God's amazing grace. Eight through 10, as we close today. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands also shall finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts Lord Almighty, Yahweh Sabaoth, has sent me unto you. For who has despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice, and they shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven, which are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro throughout the whole earth, the perfect vision of the Lord. But who shall despise the day of small things? Think about some of the small things that have been done in the Bible, right? A small, a shepherd boy, I mean, he was the most unlikely. I mean, he would have not won any contests um, for anything, except God said, I'll use a shepherd boy. He used a small stone. 
I mean, you bring a stone to a sword fight. Probably not a good idea, unless God is your God, right? He used a small rod in Moses' hand. He used a small lunch to feed a multitude. He used a small amount of mud to heal a blind eye. He used a small jawbone to defeat an army of a thousand. God loves using small things, amen? You may think your gifts are small. They may be, but God loves to use small things, amen? Give him what you have and he will multiply it. Whether it's your treasures, whether it's your energy, whether it's your knowledge of the Bible, you might say, well, I don't, I'm not sure I know how to witness to my neighbors. Just go out there and tell them, God will give you what you need for that time and you can learn along with them, amen? God loves using small things and your small things. Some people unfortunately account the cross as a small thing. I hope it's not small in your eyes today. I don't think it is. What a great, grand monument of love we see at the cross where Christ dies for the race. Oh, won't you believe today? Small thing, oh God loves to use small things. This temple that didn't seem like it even compared with the first temple, so much so that the elders who had seen the first temple were crying, they're like, oh, this is a disaster. This is nothing like the first one. But that's the one where Jesus would end up dwelling. And now this third temple, which is you. Oh, it's a beautiful thing God is doing through his church, both an organization and individuals in the last day. We're going to sing, fill my cup, Lord, to close. And may God fill your cup with his Holy Spirit-laden word, amen? And keep your eyes on him and his word. He will win the battle.